I got it! When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four! I built a labyrinth. Can you believe this? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 73, survivors emerge from the cardboard debris. To tackle Minute 73, we have me, Robert Black of Michael Myers Minute, and I've got an interview with boom operator himself, Frank Caetti. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the... There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Did I promise? Did I promise to my second? It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. If I get a few words from you before you go. Minute 73 is simple. It begins with Dave's cardboard hand stirring among the cardboard wreckage of the collapsed maze. Dead origami birds lie amongst the cardboard. Second five, Dave's head rises from the pile. He looks a little worse for wear. He surveys the ruins around him, and second fifteen starts to get up. Second nineteen, he pauses, noticing that his left hand is still made of cardboard. Second twenty-seven, he settles onto his knees and takes a breath. Second twenty-nine, angle on cardboard. Something beneath it is moving. More dead origami birds lie here and there. Second 32, angle on the corner of the room, the crooked wall sconce. Dave rises into frame, rubbing his left shoulder like it's sore. Second 35, he notices the movement, we hear it, and cut to the angle on the cardboard again. We hear Annie before we see her. Dave's fleshy right hand comes into frame to help lift cardboard off of her. Second 38, Annie emerges, Dave helps her to her feet, they embrace. Second 45, angle on another corner of the room. A light, an empty chair, a plant, a cardboard box, the boom mic at the bottom of the frame. Harry throws off the cardboard box. He's crouched down inside it. Harry brushes his hair straight before standing. Second 55, he straightens his jacket. Cut to the pile of cardboard at Harry's feet. Boom operator digs his way out, and it looks like he still has a hand on the boom. He gets up, a little flustered, and the minute ends just as he is about to lift the boom to continue being the awesome boom operator he is. And I recently spoke with the boom operator, or the actor who plays him, Frank Caetti. I was involved uh, kind of early on. I knew Steve, the writer, and uh, Bill, the writer, one of the writers and director. Yeah. Um, I was their instructor at the Second City in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And uh, they approached... Uh, me about it years before it ever came together. I read the script. I thought it was really interesting and fun. And um, then, of you know, as sometimes independent films do, it it was a couple years later. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, then they said, "This is happening. Are you available?" And uh, I had a few things that I had to switch around, but it, we made it work. And it was I'm so glad to have been a part of it. Nice. And you, well, let's just say it. Everyone who's been participating in this podcast has loved your character. Oh, that's nice. That's great to hear. Because, like, you don't, you don't say anything, right? 
I have a couple lines. Um, oh yeah, about the sound. Yeah, on. something about right. the sound, and then uh, I got a little bit. I get lost at, for a moment, and um, my character doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. But like everyone, like they're always like he's very expressive. He's a consummate professional, keeping that mic up at all times. I think you put it down once. <laughs> yeah, I um. Uh, I have a newfound respect for boom operators, actually. <laughs> and, um, it was so fun. I mean, Bill talked to Scott and I, who was the cameraman, yeah. uh, as kind of being a, you know, a, a silent duo, but a lot of physicality and expression, but we're, we're technically doing our job. Right. And, um, James's character, Harry, was, uh, obviously the leader of the crew and, and somewhat demanding. So, uh, we kind of knew our place, but, um, we had some, we had some really fun, wonderful moments that Bill would give us. And he gave us a lot of leeway, uh, when we were rolling to react and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was, it was a total treat and to be a part of it as that person, but also you're, um, we're kind of experiencing the maze for our job, but also experiencing the maze cause we're in it. And so that was really fun, uh, to, to do. So what was his direction for your character? He was real, um, he was very trusting. Uh, Bill is a, a great collaborator and, um, he, there were times where it was, you know, I had a pretty much a green light, like, what do you think is good here? Uh, what are you, what are your choices? Let's roll on rehearsal or something like that. Um, but also, um, specific things like he was very good because we shot some of it out of order. So yeah. setting us up with, um, where we were, uh, and what we were coming from and that sort of stuff. So like, actually, I believe me coming out of the rubble was my first day shooting. Huh. Oh, um, yes, yeah, the apartment. So they'd have to film it early. Yeah. So they, they shot the apartment and then, and then tore it down. So they shot everything in the apartment first. <laughs> so I want that it wasn't the first thing that I shot, but it was the first day that we shot. Nice. Um, yeah, he was, he was really collaborative and, uh, cause there was stuff for us, uh, Scott and I in particular that wasn't really on the page. So we, we got to find it and, um, he would, he would give us feedback on our choices and, uh, was always very collaborative. It was super fun. Like when they're uh, quoting Raging Bull, you two are in the background having your own time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of it, I mean, to be completely honest, was just Scott and I make, trying to make each other laugh, you know? Uh, um, I've known Scott, uh, as well is a, is a, uh, student that, uh, I have such great respect for. All, all, all of the gentlemen that I knew met through the second city are, um, just really excellent people and excellent performers and creative minds. Uh, so part of it was just Scott and I messing around, um, not trying to ruin a take of course, but just like messing <laughs> around as the people, um, there in the background. But, uh, I figure we may as well be acting. We're, we're, we're in view. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, I have a couple behind the scenes questions for you specifically, but one about the movie. What do you think happened to Boom Operator when he got lost? 
That's a great question, and I have thought about this. Um, I think he went back to the vagina. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I would jokingly say to people that, like, the way uh, Dave's hand was uh, turning into cardboard, that my my um, my junk was turning into <laughs> cardboard. Um, he went back. He was he was thoroughly enamored, and hence the reason for his embarrassment. Yeah, he um, doesn't want but, to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> don't I don't want to uh, tell you guys what I tried to do and. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 that's my theory. Um, we never obviously got further into it, but that's, that was the story that was playing in my head. Yeah, I, I suggested that as much, and Bill didn't seem to think that's what happened. I'm like, come on. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I, I would do, I mean, but Bill was also, he was, he was doing other things, but I would, when we were sitting on set, I was saying like, oh yeah, I, I went back and fucked that vagina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were a fair amount of bits like um that we would do before we would roll there's like there's still bits that I I I will tweet the rest of the cast anytime the song Too Shy by Kajigugu comes on. <laughs> um there was a time we were waiting for a setup and it's small independent so of course we're all the the we're, it wasn't a luxury setup for us to chill out in a green room or right. trailers or anything. So we're all just in this small room just kind of waiting and we were playing music um, and that song came on and we all just enjoyed it and laughed and had a fun dancing. And nice. so anytime I hear that song, I immediately tweet to the gang, guys, Too Shy by Kajigugu is on Sirius New Wave 33 right now. <laughs> Speaking of songs, was Dookie Stain your best work on this film? Oh, how, how have you learned about Dookie? <laughs> uh, Scott Narver told me about it. Uh, I don't even. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I don't exactly remember the derivation of Dookie Stain, other than just another onset bit. Uh, I'm he really said someone had mustard on their shirt. I don't oh, that's who. right. That's true. Yeah, and so I turned it into poop. That seems. <laughs> That's probably the, the progression of that. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, Scott, you're, uh, he makes me laugh, that guy. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't exactly know what the, how it came about other than just messing around. Um, we, there, there was lots of bits. Um, so messing around, keeping each other loose. Obviously, there's a lot of waiting and, um, it was incredible that this the set design team did such an amazing job and we had such a small studio that they would basically be building one set while we were shooting in one and then they would knock it down and shoot that cr the crumbling of that thing for later right. and then start building the other one and then we would shift over and shoot the next thing. So there were times where we were waiting literally on the set being built. So... Uh, and there was, of course, cardboard everywhere, and those folks worked harder than anybody. And I, I think it was a, a huge part of why the film is so fun and interesting and different. Yeah. Um, is and those those folks should be recognized. Um, so there was, I guess, in the waiting, just messing around. Uh, 
so Dookie Stain, uh, if ever released, I feel like would be an, would be a chart topping hit. I don't exactly know what genre, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it could be, I guess, could be a, a adult contemporary <laughs> or 70s soul, somewhere in there. I don't nice. know if 70s soul plays very well on the radio anymore. I don't think there's any soul stations anymore. <laughs> I know. There really isn't. Uh, another behind the scenes one. Um, where's the weirdest place you found a bread roll? <laughs> that I don't remember. <laughs> That's such a great question. I do, I don't recall. I'm trying to think if I, I'm sorry to say I do not remember. I, I remember there's a little, like, there was a little kitchen set up. Yeah. Like, where craft services, I don't remember where the bread <laughs> roll. <laughs> I think they were all over the place. Were you one of them placing them? No, I, there was someone there? else's bit. I can't remember who was doing that. I've heard I it was mostly have... Adam Bush. It's very possible. But then yeah. Scott said he also was doing it a bit. There, Yeah, there may have been some misdirection. I think that there were culp- several culprits. The, um, the best response I got to that is um, the producer, John Charles, uh, said he didn't find any. But then I hear from Scott Narver that he was one of their main targets. Oh, yeah. I think... I'm like, it's like he just didn't want to admit it. I believe that's very true. I think John was... Man, that dude works so hard. And he he's he was such a trooper. Um, he did so much and so many different things and was just so game to make it happen and determined. Uh, so therefore the level of stress was probably higher than most. Yeah. Therefore making him a very easy target. You can't, (laughs) you can't, if you show any vulnerability or weakness, people will prey upon that. And they absolutely (laughs) did. (laughs) So what other songs did you write on set? (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think there was a bit about there was there uh, in um it was the blood was referred to as gore and viscera which was like this red kind of confetti and yeah. and um like paper and uh one I don't remember this isn't a song but uh I created a um a commercial for to like like a, a television like attorney at law like hello I'm Harold Gore and I'm Ira Viscera have you been in an accident so like I would go around being Harold Gore and Ira Viscera trying to uh, make sure that you're you're getting your money's worth if you've ever been <laughs> injured in an accident <laughs> there were lots of songs I'm trying to think Dookie Stain was definitely a prevalent one. You know, when something as beautiful as Dookie Stain happens, it sort of erases everything else. It's the it's the stairway to heaven of independent film set songs. Yeah, Scott, I think it was the only one he talked about specifically, and he started singing it out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Like, Dookie Stain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember all the words. Dookie Stain on your lips. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's very, it's beautiful song. It's kind of inspired a little bit, you know, by cameo, I think, um, uh, for, for the kids who would know yeah. who cameo is. 
We'll teach them. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, hey, you gotta know the classics. Cut to an insert of me explaining what Cameo is. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely have to. So, yeah, we'll include a link to some of their jams. <laughs> Cameo is a funk soul band formed in 1974 as the New York City Players. They changed their name to Cameo to avoid being confused with the Ohio Players. Among their most famous songs are Word Up, Candy, and She's Strange. Uh, yeah, um, it was a really fun set. I would say that. I, I'm sorry. It was, it was, it's been a bit. So, uh, yeah. remembering some of those things, but it was, I have nothing but fond memories of it that everyone was so fun and, uh, cool. Yeah. You weren't involved in any of the post production scenes filmed later, right? So you were done years ago. I was. Yeah, so I, I think we, if I memory serves, I, I think we shot in May of 2015. Yeah. So it's been, you know, a while. Uh, and it was really fun to see the film. And I had not seen the film in its entirety. Bill used to send me little sequences to look at. Uh, and it was real fun to see that, but I had never seen it in its entirety. And I was so pleased. It was just a really fun project to be a part of. And Anytime you do something like this, you never really know because there's so many people working on it and so many things can go wrong or go yeah. right. And uh, I was really pleased. And, and it connects with people. It's fun to see how people really connect to the story uh, and to the genre. It's, it's, it's cool to see it living in, uh, in a, with more depth and uh, beyond just this uh, really creative uh, concept. Yeah, I, I first saw it. But today's, we're recording on the 26th right now. I saw it one year ago today for the first time. Oh, cool. And proceeded to write about it for seven days in my blog, which got Bill's attention. And then now I've done this podcast. Wow. And so. That's cool. Well, thank you for your, yeah, thank you for being so, uh, so interested in it. It's, it's a really fun project to have been a part of. That's good. And yeah, it's, that's like the, what everyone has said, even when not being recorded. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I think so. I mean, obviously there's a lot that goes in and, uh, and it's, there, it certainly is work for people more. I did not work very hard. I know others work <laughs> very hard, you know? Um, how uh, was, how was the, uh, origami room for you? Oh, that was so fun. Okay. That that's was the one that everyone says is like the hardest, like, Bill said it was like being in the shit, like your military, and it was the hard shoot. Yeah, and he kind of, he actually, I recall him describing that, like, it felt, you know, like we were in one of those, you know, a film like Platoon or something like that. Like, uh, you could, you could hear CCR playing, uh, <laughs> in your head. Um, it was so fun. It was not particularly comfortable, um, but that's, part of it you know you use it i suppose but they um that was a very complicated room just because the amount of stuff in there as well it it, um and we couldn't get in there until we had to shoot and like once we were in we were in like we had to do it knock it out and you had a big acting performance in that scene too because you get to attack the bird yeah um, I forget how that came about, <laughs> but I, I remember saying something to Bill, like, can I try to kill the bird? 
Like, and I also thought it was just really funny. This person that you have not really heard from the entire film, just like this barbaric yelp. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was fun to just, uh, do that. But I, it also, the, the larger, uh, swan, uh, was between Scott and I. And if there's anybody in this film that I loved, it was Scott. And, so I, I, I assumed that like we have this deep friendship and so I don't want my friend to get messed with by this, this thing. So nice. do what I got to do. Do you assume they work together a lot? They've been Harry's crew for a while. Yeah, I think so. I think that like they're, they're a team for sure. Like those guys, they work together as much as they possibly can and probably not the best at what they do. <laughs> But still, I think boom operator's pretty good. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Cameraman I, does put his camera down a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Got heavy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Well, yeah, those were working equipment, so it's not like they're light. <laughs> yeah, it really was not. I don't. Yeah, we. It, it was. It, was, it became part of me. That you get so attached to it. Um, it's such an interesting thing. Like, I couldn't even... It felt like it was almost part of the costume. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting to have a prop do something like that. Like, that's that was a part of the identity of the character. Um, and so, it makes sense. And how were your arms after... <laughs> You said you had new respect for boom operators. Oh, absolutely. It is not comfortable. I mean, especially <laughs> on, on longer takes, you know, um, those folks, they're great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I also, I get the joke of myself as an actor that like I work the least out of everybody. <laughs> so the, the crew and everybody else is working way harder than I ever am. Um, just in amount of hours and the stuff that they have to do. They just, actors time is protected and, you know, I guess elevated in some way. It's, it's, but I, you know, the, you would think of the crew as being more blue collar and the actors being more white collar. And so, hmm. uh, though I'm sure there will be actors that say, I worked so hard and like, yeah, the hours can be long and stuff, but you're, you're still protected more than anybody. Um, and, so yeah, those carrying that stuff around and that's what they do 12 hours a day. Like I was yeah. only doing it, you know, when we were rolling and when you were rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there, I, I, I think I just have such great respect for them. Did, um, is what's the boom operator? Leandra, the boom operator on the movie. Did she give you any tips? I think, yeah, early on we talked about, um, trying to make it as accurate as possible in regard to how you hold and, and how like there would be, there was a couple times where someone said, Oh, this one, like you might come up underneath as opposed to over the top. Mm, yeah. Um, depending on the shot composition, which I thought was, Oh, I wouldn't even have thought of that. You know, I'm not trained in that regard. So there was definitely pointers um, I'm sure there were times where like, this guy has no idea what he's doing, which is <laughs> absolutely accurate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think they, they helped out. People, uh, helped out and gave me pointers for sure. You're probably the last interview for this podcast. So oh, any wow. behind the scenes stories you want to 
give us? Oh, let me let me try to let me think. I would. It was. This is this isn't really a story, okay. other than it was really fun to shoot the larger group scenes where everybody was there in the apartment and the party. Uh, or like, you know, wanting to go in. That was a really fun day because everybody was together. Yeah. And as, as the days went on, um, you know, less and, there were less and less of us. Oh, right. Yeah. And that was kind of fun and sad. Like, I remember, I believe Scott was wrapped before I was. And, I, and it, for the, the last couple of days of shooting was strange. I, I want to say, I think Scott came back. Mm. one of the days just to watch and stuff. But it was really weird to have like your partner in crime uh, not be there. And, and so that was, it was a weird thing. Like I tried to play that, that moment of loss with reality. And then there, it was actually like, it felt different uh, in a, in a 10 little Indians way. We were <laughs> starting the there was more room in the green room. There was, like, it was like, <laughs> Oh, we're getting closer to being done. This is kind of sad. Uh, so much messing around in the, um, in the green room. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of any really specific. Oh, did, uh, did Nick tell you about him? He was, him and I were, he was practicing. He was going to throw out the first pitch at a Seattle Mariners game. Nick was? Yeah. Okay. So there's, here's a little story for you. So Nick, uh, is from Seattle and a big Mariners fan and he, was, I think it was like sometime in the, the a few weeks after we were rapping that he was going to throw, he knew he was going to throw out the first pitch at a Seattle Mariners game. He was super excited, but he didn't want to look like an idiot. So <laughs> he practiced. And so him and I would throw, go outside of the studio and play catch a lot. And it was, it was just a fun memory. It was, it was, the weather was beautiful. It's Los Angeles, of course. And, yeah. uh, we had, we, we would throw, um, it was such a fun time. It was just a weird little tradition that like when we had time, we'd grab our gloves and go outside. Nice. How did his pitch go? I think very well. <laughs> I think he did a good job. He wanted to try to, I believe he may have made like a little mockumentary about, <laughs> uh, doing it like, and that he was going to retire after that and all of this. But I, I, I think he was, he's a pretty irreverent dude and really funny guy. And yeah. he, I think, had great reverence for this opportunity, um, and wanted to not genuinely not look like an idiot throwing the pitch. Nice. Which I, I was like, I respect that. I think that that's fair. Yeah. You want to, you want to throw a good hard throw, make it a strike, not hit anybody, that sort of thing. <laughs> and what are you doing now? I just finished, I've, I've been working, uh, in wherever I can, but I just finished directing an original play at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, I just got back about 10 days ago from that. So I finished that up and that was a mountain of work and I'm thankful to, <clears throat> um, be home in LA now. <laughs> and, uh, then looking forward to seeing what 2019 has to offer. Where I, uh, in addition to being an actor, I write and direct whenever I can. Yeah. Uh, mostly direct theater. So there's a couple projects that I'm doing in 2019 directing and 
uh, some things that I've been writing that hopefully somehow come to fruition or gain some traction and just uh, trying to make it happen. Nice. Yeah. Well, just know people love Boom Operator. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, that's so kind to hear. I, I'm glad people do. It was it was it was a really fun role to play and a wonderful film to shoot and even extra rewarding to see it um, and how brilliant it turned out. I'm really excited about it. And then I could probably disarm all the traps, and then we could. We can finish this maze! Who is with me? That was me, Robert Black of Michael Myers Minute, taking a minute 73 of Dave Made a Maze. Thanks again to Frank Coyote. I will be back in minute 75. Next time, on Dave Made a Minute, we've got Eric Deutsch and Brad Mendenhall, a Flash Gordon Minute, taking a minute 74. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. This is for all you lovers out there. Wait, what?
Great Grandma.